0: children, victims being made to watch in your traffic, you're made to watch porn. Sometimes wives are made to watch porn in domestic violence situations by husbands and men watching this and young people being exposed to these in, in, in reenactments of the Holocaust issues, chattel slavery and slavery, and then gang rapes and banes and violence. And we expect with the iterations of technology and things coming in like VR, which we love technology, but how we post to deal with the issues of the heart and brain connection, and even have compassion for those that are part of the Me Too movement, and survivors at all, if our minds are being debased, and individuals that are growing and becoming who they are, are being sort of changed and pivoted, because the mind and the heart is very sensitive. And as you're growing up, you're becoming what you see. And so violent images become less and less violent. We have got to call out Bernard Burge, the owner of MindGeek. We have got to call out Pornhub, and they have got to be shut down because this cannot happen.
1: Hello and welcome to Dystopian Deep Dives with your host, Natalie Donna. Today I want to talk about uh, what people call sex addiction and how I think it's really just a porn addiction, Uh, the nature of addiction, uh, how your brain is basically plastic and how pornography is really just uh, mind control. Sex should be a natural and consensual act. What porn and the sex industry do is hijack that natural act and invert it. Recently, a man named Robert Aaron Long shot and killed eight people in massage parlors. They were Delana Ashley Ashleyon, Paul Andre Michaels, Zhao Ji Tan, Dao Yu Feng, Su Chung Park, Hyun Jun Grant, Sucha Kim, and Young I Yu The authorities claim these businesses weren't performing illegal activities, but how is this so when the man was obviously a regular patron of these establishments? In researching this podcast, I looked at the storefronts of these establishments and quickly determined they weren't where I would go for a massage of any kind. I don't know what the laws are surrounding these establishments in the Atlanta metro area, but perhaps law enforcement knew what these places were all about. Sadly, a lot of them exist as hubs for sex trafficking, but that hasn't been reported, nor has the violent image pornography instills in the minds of men, women, and now children today. Specifically, in the conversations surrounding race, there is only some conversation about the sexualized images of Asian women pervasive in our society. According to Vox's Lee Zhao, uh, the fact that the suspect may have claimed sex addiction does not mean that racism wasn't a factor, but I would change this to race and also add fetishization of Asian women leading to resentment of them. The fact that he apparently targeted the spas as sites of temptation stems from entrenched tropes about spas and Asian American women who have been framed as hypersexualized beings, Zal writes. Indeed, racist and sexist stereotypes about Asian and Asian American women have been present throughout American history. Popular culture, from Madame Butterfly to Miss Saigon, has also repeatedly presented audiences with this construction of the Asian woman as a sexual, servile being for others, says Celine. Haranis Shimizu, a film scholar and author of the book Hypersexuality of Race. Throughout history, there has been this intense racial difference that has been defined through an other and perverted kind of sexuality that's been attributed to Asian women. However, this doesn't stop Vox from going to an expert who has this logo on his website. Very curious indeed. According to his website, Mr. Vigorito's book will help you break what he calls out-of-control sexual behavior. However, he states the following about his book. Out-of-control sexual behavior is defined as a sexual health problem in which consensual sexual urges, thoughts, or behaviors feel out of control. As opposed to a clinical disorder, OCSB is framed as a behavioral problem within the normal range of sexual expression. His book posits OCSB as a sexual health behavior problem rather than a process addiction or a psychosexual disorder. And this is where I would have to disagree. Pornography is an addictive substance. It gets men and women and now children hooked on violent images that they then play out with each other to continue the sexual psychodrama that pimps, uh, I mean, pornographers want you addicted to. There's obviously no mention of this in the above Vox article which is entitled Claims of Sex Addiction are a Distraction in the Atlanta Killings. This title looks promising but ends up being a puff piece about the origins of so-called sex addiction. This man's motivations were a mix of shame and misdirected anger. Anger towards the women he saw as temptresses that had been abased by his addiction to pornography. The shooter wasn't addicted to sex. He was addicted to pornography and the misogyny attached to it. Pornography dehumanizes men and women. Both sexes are impacted by the mind control that is pornography, and of course, all of this is by design to make you distracted from larger issues that plague society and your community. The Atlanta shooter was ashamed of himself, had a flip phone to break his addiction, and according to Cherokee County Sheriff's Office, Captain J. Baker, quote, He sees these locations as a temptation for him that he wanted to eliminate. Many have speculated about a religious motive based on the shame that deviant sexual behavior produces. However, ask yourself, after you use pornography, if you indeed do, how do you feel? A little sick inside maybe? We know that not all pornography is consensual and actually the majority isn't.
2: Working with so many survivors and being a survivor I want to make sure everyone understands three things. One, extensive movement between fronts of the commercial sex trade. Women are recruited into pornography from stripping or prostitution. Sex traffic victims are videotaped and material posted on porn sites that they have zero control of. People are recruited into adult films, then pressured to escort. The commercial sex trade tries to create false borders between the legal industry like slip, like stripping and illegal crimes such as sex trafficking. These lines are more blurred and coercion is deeply embedded in all forms of the sex trade. Secondly, the physical and psychological harms of being exploited on a platform such as Pornhub is similar whether you've been in the life or you were passed out, and somebody uploads a video of your sexual abuse. In po- both cases, you lose control of intimate images, and it's a massive violation of your privacy. And number three, And this has a long-term impact on your sense of security, ability to form long-term relationships, and can lead to other addictions and coping mechanisms. And I know several of us that have had sugar daddies that have tried to get out of the life. that is a common form of blackmail um, that is used. The third thing is that online exploitation is becoming more common and impacting more people. I think it's because there seems to be absolutely no legal check on this abuse, but I stand beside my sisters and brothers here and say this has got to stop. And from seeing all the the folks that I see on a daily basis, we are all impacted by this. And I agree. Let's start calling this for what
3: it is, abuse. In November 2017, in time for the holiday season in New York City where I live, MindGeeks Pornhub opened a pop-up store, a temporary storefront for retailers to reach new consumers. It was a test run for Pornhub whose goal was to open permanent retail stores in New York and across major cities in the country. Several organizations, direct service providers, women's rights groups, including the National Organization for Women New York, anti-trafficking networks and sex trade survivors publicly urged city officials to deny retail permits for MindGeek's Pornhub feminist author and leader Gloria Steinem who joined the protest underlined that the translation of pornography is from the Greek words porne and graphos, literally meaning the depiction of a female slave in prostitution, also described as a sex trafficking victim. I bring up the Pornhub shop as an example of MindGeek's unfettered determination to mainstream sexual violence as a cultural practice. MindGeek aims to numb us all, to online sex trafficking and racialized dehumanization for untold profit and at the cost of destruction of so many lives with impunity, as we have heard from the brave survivors today. The New York Times columnist, Nick Kristoff wrote that MindGeek, the owner of Pornhub, is, I quote, a porn titan and a technology company with the third greatest impact on society in the 21st century after Facebook and Google. MindGeek is an intricate part of the global multi-billion dollar sex trade, the end destination of sex trafficking. As one survivor whose sex trafficking and rape MindGeek still distributes online, poignantly said, sexual assault on Pornhub is not an anomaly, it is a genre.
1: They are tightly interlinked with the sex trafficking industry and many young women are blamed for wanting to make money. I have said this before and it bears repeating, Without the money, would these young women be putting themselves in the same positions? And also, what about all the grooming that social media entails? Our social media society is very narcissistic. Encouraging young women to see themselves through the eyes of social media followers disconnects them from an authentic self. Social media wouldn't exist if we all decided one day not to participate in its feedback loop The current trend of sites like OnlyFans, Instagram, and Snapchat encourage users to sell their bodies digitally. Our superficial culture is void of raw humanity. No imperfections. We have filters for those. My point is that the system of technology that they are building is counting on building personalities that it can sell things to based on impulses like fear, envy, and jealousy. You need the new tech because everyone else does. Young women are emulating what they see in pornography, and many think that we can actually make what is basically rape on tape empowering. They sell this idea of empowerment to young women. What we call liberal or choice feminism really is just leftist men's rights movement in disguise. You cannot empower women by telling them to sell their bodies. In the Guardian piece, Don't Wait, How to Talk to Teenagers About Porn, some young people are interviewed. Obviously, their attitudes around sex were shaped by pornography. Quote, Megan, 15, has visited porn sites a few times because she heard about her friends giving blowjobs and thought, It sounds like a skill you'd better learn how to do. You don't want to get it wrong. Aisha, 17, talks about how porn warps things. Boys like to spice it up because ordinary sex is considered boring, she says. And girls think having anal sex will make the boys love them. When Aisha had sex, she rated her performance as if through the pornographer's lens. The first time I did it, I was thinking, my body looks good. When Rihanna, 21, looks back on her teenage sexual relationships, she recalls being asked to replicate scenes her boyfriends had seen in porn. It wasn't about what I wanted. It was as if you were some prototype female they got to act out their favorite videos with. But it's impossible not to hear the angst and confusion in the voice of Ciara, a 20-year-old retail trainee, when she says she believes that the coercive sex is the price she has to pay for being in a relationship. Boys all want the things they've seen in porn. If you say it hurts, they don't seem to take it seriously. It's as if that's a normal part of the experience. There is some hope, though. A few of the older boys I speak to seemed to be gaining some perspective on the downside of porn. Henry, 20, decided to wean himself off of it when he felt he couldn't masturbate without it. You're entranced by it, he says. Denying myself and forcing myself to use my imagination instead was really tough. Beyond that, he also started to recognize how it affected his view of women. He says, I'd see girls in the street and realize I couldn't just click a button and see them naked, I'd be talking to someone and get frustrated that I couldn't just make sex happen." End quote. Back in the 90s, some people recognized pornography as a problem.
4: I'll be at my house and my little brother's on the computer and he'll be sending stuff back and forth to people that he meets and you see some pretty crazy stuff on there.
1: I think the
5: problem with the internet and what makes, um, what makes it more of a concern around issues like pedophilia is that these people form their own virtual communities online so it's hard for pedophiles to find each other right now but on the internet there are places that they can go and there are groups that they belong to on the internet where they can trade information, they can trade pictures, they can trade tips and they also form a virtual community which means that they insulate themselves further from larger societal values so they can say you know what this is good those guys are all picking on us this isn't a problem back in Greece they did this all the time and that insulates them and protects them It makes them more um, difficult to treat, more difficult to break through the denial, and for them to see it's a problem, because they have this community that's supporting their views. And on the computer you can get a lot of shit. Pictures of 14 year olds? Yeah. Oh, definitely, even young. You know, people ask why is the internet so powerful around sexuality, and we think that it's something that we call the AAA engine, which has to do with access. It's there 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days a year, whenever you have an itch. Affordability, you know, the Internet is such a vast thing that it, there's supply and demand. You can get all kinds of sexual pictures and all kinds of stuff for free. And the third A is anonymity. So people engage in all kinds of things that they wouldn't do anywhere else. They wouldn't do these behaviors. They wouldn't engage in these behaviors anywhere else. And when you engage in it enough times, there's a concern about whether it desensitizes you to it and whether you're more likely to then take it offline and engage in it offline.
3: Addiction. I'm addicted to pornography. If you tried to, have you ever tried to quit looking? I have No, it's all I, I mean, I gotta see porn.
6: Sex miseducation.
3: Have you learned things about women by looking at porno? Yeah, they're down for anything, no matter what they say. No matter what they say, a girl is down to do it.
6: Desensitization.
3: I get less attached to her emotionally and more just down for physical sex.
6: Conditioning.
3: It's gotten me in a different positions. It's gotten me in a little role playing. Before I saw porn, I was just straight just regular stuff, and then you get into some crazy stuff. And acting out. You ever gotten violent with it? Yeah. (laughs) What were you doing? Uh, Like she would be telling like she's getting raped, and I'd be telling like I'm raping her. That's, That's from porn.
7: How can certain activities that do not involve a drug, like skydiving, eating, or sex, cause such a higher mood alteration? What we realized in the early 70s, when endorphins were just being discovered, was that the capability to get high lies naturally within all our brains. We now understand that non-drug related activities or experiences can stimulate similar chemical reactions inside the brain that mimic the action of drugs.
6: The key to understanding how all highs occur is understanding how natural chemicals in our brain work. These natural chemicals are called neurotransmitters. One of the more well-known neurotransmitters are endorphins. Neurotransmitters are produced inside the many billions of brain cells, stimulated by electrical impulses from the nucleus of their home cell. Neurotransmitters are released into the synapse. It is these natural chemicals that are responsible for all highs and mood alterations. Even when drugs are taken, it is still these natural chemicals that are responsible for the high. Drugs only create a situation for these neurochemicals to overstimulate. Activities or events can also stimulate the release of these neurochemicals. The excitement and danger of risk-taking cause the natural release of the neurotransmitter dopamine into the synapse, creating the same high as cocaine. The phrase adrenaline junkie is actually quite appropriate. The pain and stress involved in bodybuilding causes the natural release of neurotransmitters called endorphins, creating a sense of euphoria, relaxation similar to the effects of morphine or heroin. The pornography experience also triggers the release of powerful mood-altering neurotransmitters. The elements of addiction that we've
7: worked with over the past 20 years that compel people to repeatedly engage in compulsive pleasure-seeking activities are arousal, relaxation, and fantasy. Now of all the tools for addiction, drugs, gambling, skydiving, and television, Sex addiction seems to combine these elements with more frequency and more intensity than any of the other activities. By looking at pornographic imagery, excitatory neurotransmitters are released into the synapse, causing the body to become extremely energized, just like the high of cocaine. It gave me a, like a, an adrenaline rush, like I was doing speed or something. It feels like this incredible charge
1: of life flowing through my veins. It was like getting a rush in the arm of adrenaline.
7: At the height of this energized state, orgasm occurs, causing the release of endorphins, which create relaxation and euphoria.
2: I think that what is true is that the pornography itself is so brutalizing and so desensitizing um, that once you are convinced, not just intellectually, but but in subconscious ways that you don't even know about, that a woman's life is not worth what your life is worth. Once you think that she's less valuable than you are, as a human being, Um, that is a, a, a key that opens a door to doing all kinds of things to her that you would never do to somebody that you thought was a human being.
1: However, what has become fashionable is to not kink shame or call men out for bad behavior. Pedophilia apologia is everywhere you look. This is due partly to the most cited academic, Michel Foucault. Recently, it has been pointed out that he would purchase boys in Tunisia from S.G. Che at E.V. Magazine. Michel Foucault is perhaps the most popular intellectual in the halls of academia. As the most cited researcher, his thoughts heavily influence most of the ideas that are taught to our college students today. When we hear that academia leans highly to the left, what this means is that the institutions of higher learning are dominated by thinkers like Foucault. Foucault used to engage in pedophilic sex tourism with young boys in Tunisia. Foucault used to bribe desperate young children in poverty with money in exchange for sex at the cemetery. As sordid as this accusation was, it's hard to say it was actually shocking. Those who are familiar with Foucault's intellectual history would have been aware that he actively endorsed the legitimization of pedophilia. Among the most glaring clues for this was when he led the 1977 petition to lower the legal age of consent for sex with children. People in so-called leftist groups are really just following their philosophies to their logical conclusions. They say that pornography is free speech. It isn't somehow hate speech or even prostitution because a whole crew and camera are there. It's art. It's natural expression. I believe this is the inversion It is not a natural expression of anything but hate. If there truly is such a thing as hate speech, it is pornography. Scenes that should shock viewers and do when they see films like The Report. It is a brutal film and we can see how devoid of humanity organizations like the CIA are. However, when similar scenes are depicted in extreme but now normalized pornography, men just wank to it. Their sense of humanity has been reduced because they are objectifying women. Once you see people as lower than you, whether it be a terrorist or a woman, it is much easier to do things to them that you wouldn't want done to yourself. This is in essence what hate speech is, the incitement of violence to another group based on sex, race, class, etc. Not only is it hate speech, it is programming. Your libido becomes addicted to images that need to become more graphic, if not violent. The most disturbing are the categories that clearly promote and get the populace hooked on pedophilia and rape. I believe that all of this is by design. Clearly, the pathways in your brain are changed when you ingest large amounts of pornography. They've also known this for quite some time, at least as far back as Pavlov, right? It's all conditioning. According to this paper by Donald L. Hilton Jr. and Clark Watts entitled Pornography Addiction, A Neuroscience Perspective, quote, Although the key elements of hypofrontal syndromes, impulsivity, compulsivity, emotional liability, impaired judgment are well described, much of the process is still unknown. One emerging aspect of these hypofrontal states is their similarity to findings in addictive patients. Addressing hypofrontality... Fowler et al. noted, studies of addicts showed reduced cellular activity in the orbitofrontal cortex, a brain area relied upon to make strategic rather than impulsive decisions. Patients with traumatic injuries to this area of the brain display problems, aggressiveness, poor judgment of the future, inability to inhibit inappropriate responses that are similar to those observed in substance abusers. A recent study supports growing evidence that compulsive sexuality can indeed be addictive. In 2007, a VBM study out of Germany looked specifically at pedophilia and demonstrated that almost identical finding to the cocaine, meth, and obesity studies. It concludes for the first time that a sexual compulsion can cause physical, anatomic change in the brain, the hallmark of a brain addiction. A preliminary study showed the frontal dysfunction specifically in patients unable to control their sexual behavior. In 2006, world pornography revenue was $97 billion, more than Microsoft, Google, Amazon, eBay, Yahoo, Apple, and Netflix combined. This is no casual, inconsequential phenomenon. Yet there is a tendency to trivialize the possible social and biological effects of pornography. The sex industry has successfully characterized any objection to pornography as being from the religious or moral perspective. They then dismiss these objections as First Amendment infringements. If pornography addiction is viewed objectively, evidence indicates that it does indeed cause harm in humans with regard to pair bonding. The correlation, 85%, between viewing child pornography and participating in sexual relations with children was demonstrated by Burke and Hernandez. The difficulty in objective peer-reviewed discussion of this topic is again illustrated by the attempted suppression of this data on social grounds. The recent meta-analysis by Hald et al. strongly supports and clarifies previous data demonstrating correlation with regard to pornography inducing violent attitudes against women, end quote. We can see the normalization of these themes, and they have trickled down from moneyed circles who want to control everyone, and they also want you to accept their lifestyle as your own. It is true that they are psychopaths. In an earlier episode, we explored the misogyny-fueled foundation of Silicon Valley. This is why and how pornographic and pedophilic imagery is allowed to proliferate. We know that they could stop it if they wanted to, but because they are too embroiled both financially and philosophically, they won't. And the pimps have too much at stake to shut it down. They would never consider even going after the entire industry and its trafficking channels. That is why they source experts that claim pornography is no big deal. And this is why I make these episodes. I really do hope that it reaches someone who is struggling with pornography addiction. It isn't too late to change those neural pathways. It was for Robert Aaron Long. He knew he was being consumed, but his version of shame-based spirituality wasn't helping either. But even if he wasn't a religious type and still had this problem with the secular everything-goes-left have helped either? Definitely not. Pornography is hate speech, a public health crisis, and mind control. It instills misogyny in all of its viewers, no matter their sex. It hijacks and inverts sexual behavior while creating new neural pathways in the brain. Programs that do little to address pornography addiction in this way will not help those with serious issues. Nor will programs that make excuses like Mr. Vigorito's, which was described as such. I have been waiting for a book that would offer a sex-positive, non-judgmental, and non-pathologizing alternative approach for working with sex addiction. Doug Braun Harvey and Michael Vigarito aim men forward toward their sexual health with this refreshing, critical, and compassionate model to help those in the grip of problematic sexual behavior. This book will change your thinking and your clinical work at the intersection of sexuality and psychotherapy. This quote is attributed to Esther Perel, who pushes things like ethical pornography. She works alongside women like Erica Lust, who runs a site called The Porn Conversation. Lust also produces pornography that she calls ethical. From Perel's site, which links to The Porn Conversation, quote, feminist porn producer Erica Lust, in consultation with sex educators, created this porn education website for parents. The Porn Conversation believes that prohibition and shame is not the answer. Instead, they believe in education and conversation. By choosing to shed light on the debate about online pornography, they are campaigning for more equipped and alert young beings who are ready to make better choices, driven by knowledge and not by fear. The porn conversation links to research and articles and provides practical tips for parents, Erica Lust has produced the following for the pornconversation.org about children and consent.
4: Consent for kids. This is you. Okay, it doesn't look exactly like you, but let's say it's you. This is your body. And you get to decide what you do with your body. No one else is entitled to tell you what to do with your body. Not your friends? Not strangers? Not adults, you know. No one is entitled to decide what you do with your body. Except you. That's called bodily autonomy, by the way. And that's what consent is all about. Everyone is different. Some people love to hug. And some people hate hugs. And each person gets to decide what they're comfortable with. Can a hug-loving person just start hugging someone at random? Nope. They need consent. How do people know if they have consent? They ask. Would you like a hug? Yes, I would. Can I hold your hand? I'd rather not. Okay. If a person doesn't say yes... Can I hug you? Um, I, uh then they haven't given their consent. It's really pretty simple. Ask for consent. Listen to the answer. By the way, if a person bribes someone or threatens someone to say yes, that's not consent. Sometimes adults will try to tell a kid what to do with their body. Go kiss Aunt Doris goodbye. But the kid still gets to decide. No thanks, that makes me uncomfortable. I'll just wave goodbye. Some things kids can't consent to. They can't enter into legal contracts, they can't vote, and they can't consent to sexual stuff, because they're kids. So if an adult does something that kids can't consent to, that's not okay. The adult is wrong, and it's not the kid's fault. And that's when it's most important to tell a trusted adult, like a teacher. Why? Because it's your body. And no one else is entitled to tell you what to do with it. Practice consent.
1: I have said that a lot of this comes from grooming kids. While this may seem like a way to teach kids about consent, and it may even seem like a good idea, it's normalizing the idea that children can practice consent in the first place. Erica Lust is a producer of what they call feminist porn. I would argue that there is no such thing. However, I don't associate myself with feminism because it no longer means much when women like this are producing material that they call feminist. It's still exploitation. She produced a film called The Good Girl, which, according to Wikipedia, is a new hot take on the pizza boy porn trope. Except from a woman's perspective, how novel. I have no idea what that means, do you? She says this about her organization. Quote, However, now we are worried about something new, the easy access to crappy porn and horrible sites that kids and teenagers have. Kids are stumbling across porn at as young as nine or 10 years old, and we need to take action. We've realized this can't be solved by banning bad porn in the same way banning drugs hasn't helped society either. But we can teach we can talk, we can make our kids aware and critical. So we are starting this project to help parents and teachers talk about online pornography with their kids and teens. End quote. She and the people over at the Porn Conversation who want to educate children about consent believe that pornography can be done right. Perhaps this is true, but it doesn't address the health crisis porn is producing now. The very real and inherent dangers of taking something intimate, and inverting it for an audience. Do you believe that this can be done in an ethical way? Let me know in the comments. I don't believe this kind of culture around such dangerous hate speech would have helped the Atlanta shooter, and nor did shame. However, coming to grips on the effects of porn is important. It is also noteworthy to mention that obviously these people want to soften the image of pornography so that they can produce it. At the end of the day, a pimp is a pimp, and it worries me that these pimps think they can teach children about consent. At least their site links to a useful article that quotes radical feminist Gail Dines. Dines has made a name for herself as an expert on pornography and its effects on young people. In the same Guardian piece entitled Don't Wait, How to Talk to Your Teenagers About Porn that I quoted before, There is a list at the end that encourages a conversation around pornography and exploitation. From this list, talk about the difference between making love and making hate. As they begin to understand more about sex, explain there is a spectrum from real life to what takes place on the internet. At the real life end, there's the intimate and mutually enjoyable act of making love. At the other end, there's what Gail Dines describes as making hate which is often what online porn is about. And I would say that's all it's about. It goes on, explain the porn business. It makes money by seizing your attention, which it does by showing the most extreme, often confected practices, many of which have little to do with reality. Young people tell me that learning how the sex trade works and realizing some of the women are abused, underage, or trafficked gives them a logical reason to stop watching. Most of these women are abused and a lot of them are trafficked. I don't know. I just do not see an ethical way to make this kind of material. The Atlanta shooter was not motivated by a sex addiction, but by a porn addiction. Porn is not sex. It emulates it and acts like it and then inverts it. Porn is an addictive substance that is being used to keep you chained to your libido and change the pathways in your brain to make impulsive behavior increase. They have known about this for some time and do nothing to stop it because it's called free speech by the ACLU, or it can be done the right way. However, at the end of the day, pornography is prostitution. It is inherently exploitative and fuels the sex industry racket. Men, women, and children are objectified by this practice and it is one of the most prominent public health crises of the 21st century. It is time we have an honest conversation about what it is doing to us all. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed that, please consider donating. That would really help me out. Um, Otherwise, have an awesome time doing whatever you're doing and I'll catch you later.